Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, episode 301D. I'm Ben Rothenberg here on day 11 of the French Open. And as we're reaching the 301 territory of our episode count and our weird episode counting system, as a DC native, I was obviously thinking of Maryland. And when I think of Maryland in tennis, I obviously think of Pam Shriver, the greatest tennis player Maryland has ever produced. I'm pretty sure there's no argument there, Pam. Would you, is, is there any a plausible contender to your to your Maryland crown? Uh, well, I'd like to say that Francis Tiafo in 10 years will okay. enter the fray, but he's got a lot of work to do. But meanwhile, 301, that was my area code growing up. Now it's yeah. not. It's 410, but yeah. love it. I know. I was checking the history of the 301. I didn't know exactly when they split into different Baltimore area codes and not. But yeah, 301 used to be the whole state. And then I have two four zero, and for other people who care about Maryland area codes, we could go on for a while. I'm sure that's not most of our, our audience, but we do have uh, several, well, eight players dialing into the semifinals of the French Open. Uh, four from pretty long distance from the women's side, I think you could say, in terms of being outside the top 16 seeds. And a semifinal slate that really cemented itself as being upheaval, I think, with the with the loss today of Iga Swiatek who had been a pretty prohibitive favorite in the draw, I think ever since Ash Barty pulled out. So let's start with the let's start with the women, Pam. Uh they were the first ones up today. Why don't we start with why don't we start with Shvantek, then we'll get to, to Krejcikova and Golf second. But Iga Shvantek, number eight seed, was the only player in the quarterfinals who'd ever made a slam semifinal before, even. She uh was an increasingly big favorite, but she was getting tough opposition people were playing her tough they were kind of gunning for her the way you almost see people gunning for serena and after some tight matches against contivate and kostiuk she finally succumbed in the quarterfinals 6-4-6-4 to maria sakari who makes it who's been a top 20 player you know with solid known player probably the second best known player really of the of the eight in the in the quarterfinal slate her and golf i think you can make an argument and pavlyuchenko i guess too but at least the two top 20 players who were left played each other in this match so shvantek is out and where do you think that leaves this so let's talk about her result first and then what you think it means for this women's field which now has four first time semifinalists for which is very hard to do uh for the first time since the 1978 australian open which is one of those slams that none of the top women really went to so what do you make of uh of this result yeah, I've, I've found the whole draw interesting. Every time a player looked like they were uh, being lifted towards the title of being a favorite, their games, or, or, or losing some co-favorites, uh, their game mm-hmm. suffered. I'll even say when Serena in the round of 16, yeah. people started to talk about her. Could this suddenly be the one? And then she didn't play. She played her worst match. So Sviantek, I felt like uh, a little bit of the pressure got to her. I mean, really, when you think about it, just turning 20, was she really going to win two of these in a row during this time of upheaval in women's tennis? Probably not. But a month ago, I think all of us would have chosen either as our favorite Ash Barty or Sviantek. And of course, Barty injured early. And um, I thought Sakari, wow. She proved a lot today that she has what it takes under pressure. Yeah, no, she's proved she's had a really good tournament too. I mean, this is I don't think I think the level has been consistently really high in this in this sort of middle stages of this of this women's tournament. I don't think it's been a, a question. Honestly, maybe you mentioned Serena. I don't think Serena played very well against Rabakina at all. But other than that, I think it's more been about 
players stepping up and taking it to the slightly bigger favorites in these matches. And and yeah, Sviantek, you know, played a player in, in Sakari who had been really sharp, had a really good three-set win over Elisa Mertens in the third round, and then also beat Sonia Kennan really handily in the fourth round. And I had to be feeling a lot of confidence. And it's been knocking on the door and making these sort of stages, not a quarterfinal before, but made a lot of third and fourth rounds of slams to where she would feel comfortable in, well, this, in this occasion. And I think she's also comfortable with the fact that she has a male counterpart in Tsitsipas who's been mm-hmm. leading the way in the majors. Um, and, and she wants to join what, what Tsitsipas has been doing by getting through to uh, semis and, and a final. And um, so... I don't know. I, th- I think it's fascinating. I love that how she talks about how she works on her serve, how much mm. she works on it, like every day, at least 20 minutes to a half hour. And to me, that's a natural. It's the, the one shot you have control over. And, you know, she's, it's not like she's short of stature, but she's not t- that tall either. She's sort of in no. the middle, but obviously she's so powerfully built. And the fact that she's worked on the serve and she can hit her spots better. And she's got the great kick serve, which on clay carries dividends. So, uh, and the first thing when I tuned, I'm, I'm in LA, so I'm at a disadvantage time-wise. Yeah. I, I tuned in in the middle of this match and right away, the thing that I saw was not only Sakari being so confident, but I saw the forehand side of Sviantek not being what it's been when she's yeah. been at her best. Yeah, and I think I think Sakari didn't hide from that wing. She was really attacking that wing and pressuring that wing and drawing some errors from it and, and spotted that really well. Yeah, Sakari is somebody who you see what you can honestly just tell by looking at her how much she work she puts in to her fitness and her her tennis and her career. You know, you see, and she's got a new hitting partner who's Greek. Who's, she talked about this when she was on our show actually a couple of days ago. Who's helping her feel more at home? You know, having another Greek person because it is lonely out there. I mean, it's you mentioned Sitsipas. She and Sitsipas are both. I was are the only country with two semifinalists in this tournament. It's funny that it's from Greece and they're both like the only players I haven't looked recently, but roughly the only players who are like top 300 from their countries. Even there's not anybody coming behind them in their respective draws. So uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool to see them come together. And I do think it can, you know, inspire her, give her some confidence to see this kid she grew up with and was is pretty close with still and Stefanos uh, doing these things and, and winning matches against the likes of Medvedev last night that has to give her, give her a bit of a boost. Yeah, I think for sure. We've seen it through the years on the same gender when a country like back when I played in the 80s, the, the yeah. Swedish male players right. you know, followed Borg. And then for a while, there were five in the top 10. We've seen it with Russia 15 years ago, how, you know, in 04, mm-hmm. they won three of the four majors. They feed off each other. But in this case, it's interesting. The Serbs all arrived together. The three That's Serbs, right, the Ivanovic, Jankovic, jo- and Djokovic all pretty much at the same time. Yeah. But and and there you you bring up an example with Serbia where they had um, both male and female representatives yeah. as we're talking about here. But it must be pretty lonely on the one hand in the locker rooms. So it's just yeah. them. Absolutely. So Sakari takes out Sviantek. Sviantek was the sort of player. Really wild stat that uh, our buddy Matt Trilov sent me before this tournament, which I hadn't realized. Sviantek losing continues a streak since the 2016 Wimbledon when Serena Williams did it, where no defending champion at a Grand Slam has even made a semifinal on the Whitman side in that stretch. None even there. And you look at the men's, where obviously we take Nadal's title defense for granted. We'll talk about him later, but he take his title defense for granted. Djokovic in Australia take it for granted. Federer at Wimbledon obviously has been reliable at times in that stretch. Maybe not actually defending a title in that stretch, but Djokovic has defended titles in that stretch at Wimbledon. And 
the women, yeah, it's just, it's, it's swung to this sort of opposite extreme. And then I, w- I was sharing with you before we started some of these stats on just the amount of parody that we've seen in the women's game from uh, Oleg on Twitter, who's a, a big stats head, who was saying at t- 10 of the last 26 Grand Slams, including seven of the last 11 and uh, four in a row, there have been no matches in the women's Grand Slam between two top 10 ranked players. That's that's pretty crazy. incredible. That's crazy. And then, and only, and said in the stretch before that, it only happened twice at 126 Grand Slams. So it's this real complete turn. I just wonder, you know, Pam, you, you played in an era, obviously, that was very dominated by, you know, Martina and, and Chrissy sort of, you know, inking themselves into the semifinals, at least at every slam they played pretty much without fail. And if they ever did fall before then, it was a huge, huge story. But now we don't have anything close to that sort of stability. I just wonder how you wrap your head around what this, how, how this, I guess, what this means for women's tennis, because it's, it's, a, it's a very strange thing to quantify. Again, I, had, I have a little spreadsheet of first-time semifinalists at Slams, and I had to add a fourth column to it today for the women, <laughs> insert a column to make it so that I could put a fourth name in there, because we had four debutantes in the semifinals all at one wow. tournament. You know, it's interesting following the heels of how we talked about how when you're from the same country and then there can be numbers that that feed off each other. I, I actually think that's the same phenomenon that's happened in women's tennis in recent hmm. years. I mean, I'll go back to some other notable first time winners, Flavia Panetta, you yeah. know, winning the U.S. Open uh, the year that Serena was going for the calendar year slam, Schiavone at the French 10 years ago. Um, you know, and Sam Stozer had the breakthrough. I mean, really, in the last 10 or 12 years. Um, there's been this handful of first-time winners, not mm-hmm. to mention a lot of first-time finalists, that I think has gotten the attention of the locker room. Back in my day, which you mentioned, like every time I maybe made eight or nine semifinals of majors, I never played mm-hmm. anyone who wasn't now in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, and most of the people I beat in the quarters, when I had a win in the quarters, they're in the Hall of Fame too. Yeah. So this is like a totally different, what's happening on the men's side, it's totally different what's happened in other generations of women's tennis. I find it fascinating. I know people who don't know tennis are gonna look at the semifinalists and say, how am I gonna feel attached to these players? I don't really know them, but you know what? Their stories are fascinating, where they come from, their journeys to get to their first semifinal. It's, It's definitely worth tuning in to watch and see who can come through under the pressure. Yeah, I think I think that it's, I think it's exactly that. And I think this tournament, I think it hasn't always been as good as this tournament, honestly. I think there have been some tournaments where it's been scratchy and people kind of make it through a bit by default. I think like the year Ash Barty won the French Open a couple of years ago, I think that draw really imploded and we had some pretty uh, scratchy matches late in that tournament, to, which resulted in Barty kind of being the one who held her nerve, especially in that final against Van Joseva, which was an ugly sort of match. But here it's really been, it's been good tennis. I feel like anybody who bought tickets to see, you know, I don't know how they're doing ticket exactly this year at the French Open with it being as weird as it is with all the protocols and stuff. But if you bought tickets to see the women's quarterfinals today and you sat down and watched these matches, you would have seen great matches. Both Golf Krejcikova and and Sakari Sviantek were compelling high quality matches. And even more so yesterday when you had Pavlyuchenkova <sighs> 9-7 in the third against uh, Rybakina and 8-6 in the third for Zidancic over Badosa. Like, you might show up being a casual fan having never heard of these four people. Maybe you've heard of Pavlyuchenkova um, if you've been a casual fan long enough. But, but you, if you sit there or tune in, if you actually take the time to give it a chance, you're going to see something really great. It's just it's just the sport is so star-driven. We know. We see what the star, what this sport can do, launching people into absolute superstardom. You know, your big four, Serena, Naomi Osaka, 
in the current of the active players and not having that is is tough and and it's sort of i do think it's sort of in some ways has to devalue a little bit with the achievement means of making a a semifinal or a final or even maybe even winning a slam when so many different people are doing it but it also in some ways i think maybe really increases the value of doing it a second time like see what a big see what a big deal osaka is now for having won quote unquote only four slams she's being treated like i don't know a 10 times slam when we'll be in the, in the olden days because we just don't see people consolidating anymore and what she's done has been really really unique yeah, you think about Kerber when she got those three under mm-hmm. her belt and even what Halep's been able to do. Um, it, it, it's a whole different currency right now. And, and here we are still with Serena trying to get it all together to try and win her 24th. So what yeah. a juxtaposition that you have the player who's played all their career in the open era, Serena, having won 23, which is more than anyone else who's played their entire career in the open era. Yep. And now we have this current uh, younger generation who feels it's a total jump ball. And, and if I can just grab what Sonia Kennan had at the Australian Open a year and a half ago, yeah. I can win my first major too. So when I look at the four that are in here and I think about the tennis they've played the last 10 days, They've all deserved it. Pavly Chenkova, the fact that she was, what, 0 for 6 in quarters going yep. into yesterday and how she ended up winning it, 9-7 in the third with a double fault. So she, she got a little <laughs> – she, maybe she had a little prayer, silent you prayer make it, You on. make it to 8-7 in the third, you deserve a little bit of luck. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, the shot of the tournament on the women's side to me is the forehand side of Zidansic. So yeah. it's it's been fascinating to see unfold. It really has been. And let's talk actually about the, the fourth – this other quarterfinal today we didn't talk about before, which was Krejcikova beating Coco Goff. This was an up and down match. Maybe before you got up, but Coach Coco Goff had five set points in the first set. It was up five three, I believe, in that first set. Did not convert. Uh, Krejcikova fended off a few more in the tie. I think three before the tiebreak, and then two more in the tiebreak. Krejcikova fended off, and then she converted, I believe, her first, maybe second set point to take that tiebreak. And then Krejcikova raced out to a five love lead. And, and got a little bit tight then, and, and Coco started to march back, but Krejcikova built a bit, enough of a lead that I think she closed it out 6-3 in the end on her own sixth uh, sixth match point. Um, did you see any of that? I'm not sure. Yeah. Did you see any of that one? Or, yeah, I didn't yeah. See, I didn't see it live because it started at 2 a.m. my time, right. but I did see a, a fair bit of the first set on the rear, um, mm-hmm. and I was able to see that Coco wasn't quite as free. She wasn't swinging as freely as she did earlier in the tournament. I thought her backhand side let her down, which usually mm. in, in recent times we've been watching the forehand side. Yeah. Um, I was sort of, I'm wondering out loud, given how many times Krejcikova uh, caught the ball. And I know I'm saying, saying it slightly differently from you, and I'll work on that by the end of the podcast, but how many times she caught the missed toss. And I'm wondering yeah. how's it going to be in the semis um, and if she wins in a final and I love the link back to Yana Novotna, somebody oh, yeah. I knew so very well. Um, but, you know, Coco, I feel like, has shown a lot in the last six weeks, the way she's played on clay. She's tough on all surfaces. And I feel like she's back on track. So even though today uh, was was a setback, I think if she'd won that first set, Ben, I think she'd be one of our four semifinalists. But it, yeah. it wasn't meant to be. And guess what? She'll go back and work hard and she'll be better for Wimbledon. Absolutely. And she's done well Wimbledon in her one appearance there before, obviously making fourth round on her on our Grand Slam debut, beating Venus and everything. Uh, Krejcikova, you mentioned Yana Novotna, and, and you talk about these players having great stories, and Krejcikova is, I don't know how much you've ever spoken to her or seen her interviews, but she's a very good narrator of her own story, which we as writers appreciate, certainly. And, and she worked with Yana, obviously, and who was very 
pivotal to helping her as a career and just sort of being a rock for her. And then she's also had this journey of, of being a doubles champion and number one. It took a long time to bloom slower on the singles side and was, you know, ranked outside the top 200 in singles while she was doubles number one and really stuck with the singles side and, and has come to now she's two wins away potentially from winning a singles grand slam very plausibly. And I'm, I'm curious for you, obviously you played doubles throughout your career and very, very well. What you make of that sort of as a path, I and mean, we haven't seen it that often really at this sort of level, I don't think, where a player is really able to start in, at least in recent years, we haven't seen it, where a player is able to start in the doubles and make it further in the doubles first and then be able to catch up a bit with their singles results. I think like the one who comes to mind, actually, I feel like for me, and this is still a while ago, is like Leighton Hewitt, I think, had a bunch, maybe won a couple, a grand slam or two in doubles before he got his real singles breakthrough to number one. But what do, what do you make of uh, of that sort of path and, and how that kind of development can, yeah, can work? Because it's, it's not a road we see very often. No, I feel like Ash Barty did a little bit of that road mm, that's with true. her that's doubles yeah, success. I, I feel like Azarenka got to some doubles finals mm-hmm. yeah, um, good point. before she started winning uh, her two Australian Opens. I can relate a little bit. Well, I got the singles final of the U.S. Open when I was 16 and actually lost in the semis of the doubles. So I was hmm. at 16 in the semis of both. And then I had a setback year with injury. And then when I came back and started to get my singles act back together, it was actually my doubles. I got the U.S. Open doubles final in 1980 with Betty Stova, who's part Mm -hmm. of this whole female coaching link that uh, brings us to Yana Novotna and to Krejcikova. But um, the doubles helps reset the table for me to believe in my singles. So I can mm. relate to the fact and I love that how many in the doubles draw t- did well in singles. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's going to prove to this generation, not only can they um, win these singles titles, but that the doubles can really enhance uh, their, their singles and it'll make them feel more comfortable in the final stages of the singles major because they've been there in doubles. With us knowing so little about how these four remaining women handle these sorts of moments, none of them have been in a grand semifinal before. So we have these two semifinals set now, Krejcikova versus Sakari, and then Pavlyuchenkova versus Zdancic. What do you think is going to be pivotal in terms of who walks away with this trophy? How do you think, how do you sort of think about how these four sort of unknown quantities are going to respond? Or, do we, or is there any, just maybe no way to know? I think that last sentence yeah. pretty much sums it up. I, I, here, here are some questions I, I'd like to know mm-hmm. is if uh, Zidancic's forehand holds up uh, the same way that it has been. I mean, I think she has more forehand winners than Nadal going into yeah. um, this the same round. That is sort of, that to me is the shot that if it holds up can cause the most amount of intimidation and discomfort of all the shots that are left. I'd say, Sakari also has, if her game's on with her improved serve, that she has an intimidating way about her. So I, I, I don't know. I, I look at those two as probably being, I think we might see those two in the finals, but <laughs> I could be so 100% wrong. I mean, I can make a case for any of the four of them at this point. I mean, because we've seen so many surprises and like I haven't watched very much tomorrow's Adonisic before this tournament. And so really, I've only watched her win matches at this tournament. So, you know, that's my main you know, experience of her seeing her at this sort of peak of, of this moment. And, and she has a lot of, you know, belief and she was a good junior and things. So I will see how, how things shake out, but it's certainly been uh, unpredictable and, and a, a new major winner will be crowned already. We know, and it, it's just a very different time. And, 
The only surprise thing I will say is I feel like a month or six weeks ago, we probably thought coming into this French Open that we would see a lot of the players who've yeah. done well the last couple of years in there. Uh, okay. and the, I think it's the most surprising one of yeah. all the surprising ones. I, I agree with that. The timing didn't, I think people really thought we were sort of coalescing or congealing into something pretty steady here, right? With Barty winning Miami and then backing up winning Stuttgart, being a, a, a number one who was sort of very comfortably being number one, not shrinking from that and comfortable on clay. One of the last time she was there in Paris. And then you had Sabalenka who made the final in Stuttgart and won Madrid who was playing well on the clay as well. And then you had Sviantec who was, coming in off the Rome final where she double bagel Pliskova. And then you had Halep in the mix before she got hurt, obviously, who was number three in the rankings and, and very comfortable on clay. And then you had Osaka, who who had won the last two majors she competed at. And so even though obviously clay is not her her thing historically, she couldn't be completely counted out either. So I think if you'd offered sort of that group against the field, even in recent women's tennis, I think you'd be smart to take that group. And then obviously extenuating circumstances, Barty gets hurt, pulls out a second round, Osaka pulls out of the second round before her match. Also, Halep gets hurt in Rome, pulls out before the tournament. Sabalenka still coming up a bit short in this in this major as well. Uh, although she lost to Pavlyuchenkova, who backed that win up. So, um, but she was not good in that third set at all. So, yeah, it, it's. I agree with you. This is not really as much as this sort of fits some trends. It's also against maybe the shorter trend or what we thought. And it, it could well be back to normal Wimbledon. They could, if Bar- especially if Barty's healthy. There's no reason to think that Barty can't be there contending at, at Wimbledon. So I hope, I hope she is. Yeah, me too. I think uh, that was one of the things about a month or so ago when I thought about this unusual, more than unusual time that these athletes are training in, competing in, living during a global pandemic is like, who can keep it together physically and emotionally the best? And yeah. I think probably a lot of the players that you've mentioned have played really well up till now in the year. Yeah. And I just think it's really hard to keep it going, to be consistent week in, week out. Yeah. Um, I look at the top men and we can talk about them in a little bit, but they've taken their pauses. They've mm-hmm. taken breaks. Nadal took his long break. Djokovic took a little break. Um, and I just think everyone's got to figure out, I know Barty coming from Australia and then she took the whole you know, first 11 months of the pandemic off uh, for obviously good reasons, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to know how to pace yourself during this yeah. time. Absolutely, and especially during especially during this COVID time as well, when everything is so magnified and pressure. And Shiante talked about it a little bit in her press afterwards, saying she's had a hard time shutting her brain out from tennis. She was closing her eyes and still seeing tennis balls and tennis courts whenever she was trying to rest and having and not being able to, you know, go out and you know visit the Apple Tower or go to a cafe or whatever sort of normal things people might do to sort of take mental breaks uh, out in the city in during a French, normal French Open it had to be. That'd be tough. We mentioned the men. Let's let's segue to the men uh, who have been <laughs> paragons of consistency by comparison. Novak Djokovic just made his 40th Grand Slam semifinal, <laughs> which gets him 36 ahead of all the other women in the women's field combined, uh, who were each at one. So Djokovic gets through there. He also mentions we're keeping composure. Djokovic was was getting. I don't know if you saw the end of Djokovic's match, but he was really kind of losing his mind, or you know, really lashing out or getting very fired up and, and breaking a sign on the side of the court when he missed one match point and then really yelling and screaming a lot after his other match point and th- th- looked like he was going to throw his racket a few times and just looking very, you know, angry and, and you know, borderline like sort of violent energy he had inside of himself that he was sort of containing a little bit, but not totally. But that, you know, we've seen obviously that, that, that explode in bad ways or misfire, let's say at the U S open last year, obviously, which 
I don't think with how many times Djokovic has had, you know, complete, you know, sort of angry moments on court, I don't think it's a complete fluke. I think he's probably been playing with fire a little bit there for his whole career, and finally it just caught up to him. But uh, but he gets through in four sets against Berrettini in a weird match where they kicked the crowd out, uh, had a long delay, had some fans refusing to leave the stands uh, uh, for about 20 minutes or so there. He gets through in four to play Rafael Nadal once again in the semifinals. Nadal gets through also in four against Diego Schwartzman. Schwartzman broke Nadal's streak of sets one at the French Open. I believe it stopped at 36 sets in a row. Wow. What do you, what yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty thirty six <laughs> is pretty pretty good. What do you, what do you make of of these? And it's just complete opposite again. It's complete opposite of the of the of the women's draw where you get these two guys you're almost like too familiar with. You know, like you they've played each other fifty something times now. Yep. What how do you is it is it exciting to see them play again? Is it sort of boring to see them play again at this stage? I mean, we've seen it so many times. I don't know. I, I they're t- after getting myself sort of psyched there for the women's draw. I have to I have to, I have to Reset. recalibrate for the for the men since they're like okay nova i forget exactly what the number is but 50 something times i think it's six, this is gonna be their sixth i think it's about their 60th and the okay thing i can yeah. compare it to is obviously i played in the era as you mentioned of martina and chrissy and they played yeah. each other 80 times yeah and and a whole bunch of major finals yeah and if you think back to the 86 french open final which is i believe it's 35 years ago like the, today mm-hmm. or this weekend that match was fascinating. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And they'd already played so many times. Um, so, you know, to me, I would never classify a Djokovic Nadal match anywhere near the boring scale. I find it fascinating. Um, the, the, the fact that they both lost a set in, in their quarterfinal and they mm-hmm. had the momentum taken away from them for a time. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And the, and the fact that they played – only what, what do we say? Is it eight months ago here at this very tournament in the finals? Yeah. Um, it's, and it's a surprisingly lopsided match. I, I remember having a lot of people had pretty high hopes for that match. Because Djokovic had been essentially undefeated, save for that aforementioned U S open default all year. And Nadal hadn't played as much and had lost in, in to Schwartzman in Rome and was coming in, maybe not peak confidence. And then Nadal absolutely, maybe that match is, is maybe what is most sort of giving me pause. Like that was the most recent sort of slam match from the two of them. And it was such a, a relative dud. I mean, there's no, every match is different. And obviously, you know, like you mentioned the 86 final where Chrissy finally broke a long streak, you know, of, of Martinez and, and came out, I think, I think the right one, right. Where Chrissy yeah. snapped Martinez uh, sort of hold on her in that big, on that big stage. Yeah, maybe maybe the stage is set, and, and maybe it does help Novak to get him before a final. I mean, Novak. I mean, Rafa. Not that Rafa's ever lost a semifinal either in Paris, but he's never lost a final even more so. So, the you know, in twenty thirteen, they played a very close uh, close semifinal that that Nadal won. You know, and and I think back to some big uh, matches they've played at other majors. When I think mm-hmm. about Djokovic, of course, the Australian Open, and how he just dismantled Rafa down there. It's a totally yeah. different surface, I understand, but. Uh, a lot's going to be who can get into the right mindset. And I think we always know Rafa's mindset here is going to be at the highest level with, you know, one or two exceptions through the years, it's at the highest level. So I think when you analyze it, let's, and we just spoke about how um, emotional and sort of violently. So at the end of the match where Djokovic had to sort of hold back and make sure he didn't throw his racket and good thing he didn't hurt his foot on kicking yeah. the, uh, cause I broke a bone one time, uh, kicking an Oof. empty linesman's chair in the middle of a match. So you have to be really careful with that. So I think a lot of it's going to be Djokovic's mentality after mm. losing so easily in the match, you mentioned at, at Roland Garros finals played in early November, Rafa has to go in 
with with more belief, even though he'll always downplay that. But um, I don't know. Nadal's the favorite. I want to see if Djokovic can get it together emotionally. Yeah, and hopefully Djokovic can really appreciate that Nadal is the favorite and accept that and use that as some some freedom. Maybe he came in last time with too much, you know, of the reasons that people like me were thinking he had a real shot, you know, being number one, being essentially undefeated on the year, having, you know, won every, yeah, won every match he completed and 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 a bunch of wins over Nadal in recent times too. That and that Australian Open match was their previous uh, slam encounter at least. So hopefully Djokovic can play with something in regard, something resembling nothing to lose and Nadal maybe will feel some pressure. I mean, it's been interesting. I think Hannah Wilkes is a, is doing some tweeting for the tennis podcast point out this week. It's been surprising, at least in the coverage I've seen. I've been watching a lot of the, the single court feeds to sort of curate my own things and not as much of the tennis channel, but there's been relatively, I feel like little talk about the fact that Nadal is two matches away from breaking the all time slam record on the men's side and getting number 21 and passing Roger. I mean, maybe people just think it's a given, so they're not talking about it, but I feel like compared to all the sort of, you know, hype over 24 that Serena's had so many times at majors, this 21 is kind of sneaking up on, on Rafa mm-hmm. at least a bit. Do you agree with that as someone, you know, oh, in the for sure. Media? For yeah. sure. I heard it uh, talked about today uh, for the first time. I mean, obviously everyone's so aware of the numbers, 20, 20 18. You know, yeah. you, you almost see those numbers in your sleep. Um, but, you know, and I guess they know again, Djokovic is still coming, too. That's the thing. They're still moving targets. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing why this matchup can never be discounted as anything but fascinating is that how will this match perhaps play out in all time tennis history on the final numbers of majors one if the winner of this semifinal goes on to either get 21 or 19 for Djokovic? You know, you'll look at these majors that are played when these great champions are in their mid thirties and say, well, that was really important for Djokovic to pull that one out and keep, you know, Rafa from going to 21 and he got to go within one of yeah. uh, Rafa. So it's, it's history on the line every time that uh, the men play and the women, but particularly the men right now. Yeah. I mentioned that 2013 match where they played in the semifinals. I think Ferreira was waiting in the final of that tournament. So it was a pretty considered a pretty easy final for whoever was going to get there because Ferreira did not have a history of pulling off those big wins late in slams at all. But on the, in this draw, I think both, obviously they haven't won slams. They're not as proven. They've made one final between them. But Zverev and Tsitsipas, uh, who are going to play each other in the other semifinal, that'll be the first semifinal probably the way they do the, the order of play. They, I think both have reasons to believe that they can make something of this match when I mean, they both have wins over the both of those guys since the played Nadal very tight in the Barcelona final that lasted more than three hours in a three-set match and Zverev beat Nadal in Madrid and I think he's won his last three matches in a row against Nadal and so obviously it's a French Open final so that's a different brand of Nadal and a different brand of you know a, a much taller mountain to climb but I also think you know this is I could see it being especially if it's a big emotional semifinal I could see that the stage sort of being set for one of those guys to potentially capitalize and channel their inner insert name of whoever won the women's the day before, you know, Tamara Zidansic right. and come out with it with a, the title or whoever it may be. Well, and I feel like um, the players that are not the big three have sort of been waiting maybe for the big three to knock each other out a little bit. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what you're mentioning is. Uh, I definitely think whoever wins from Zverev or Sitsipas are going to go into the final with belief, especially Sitsipas, the way he's mm-hmm. been carrying himself um, and he, you know, with his forehand and the way his serve seems to hold up under pressure a lot better than Zverev. But, 
you know, Zverev would go into, uh, if he's in the final, he goes in suddenly, it'll be a second major final within 12 months. Yeah. That's a big difference than playing your first ever. And of course, either way, whoever gets out of that bottom half semi, they're going to be the underdog. So we know you tend to play a lot better when you're the underdog. Um, and we know how ugly that U.S. Open men's final was oh, with God, team yeah. and Zverev. It was, but that's because they both had, you know, they both felt like they were the favorites. And that mm. hadn't happened in men's tennis for like 15 years, hardly. It may, actually makes you realize how well Chilich played when he beat me. Chilich played very well. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was the one outlier. Um but anyway, I, I think I'm, I'm interested in both. I think when the draw came out, everybody was like, well, the big question was, will Nadal be in Djokovic's half? And, and it was a little bit upsetting that they were in the same half. But I actually feel like now for the men's game, it lines up, it lines up better to have Djokovic and Nadal yeah. face off in the semis and have a different final. I agree. I think it's I think it's good to sort of yeah, like I not again, not boring is probably too strong a word, but the there's there's a sameness sometimes, at least the repetition, having some sort of novelty and fresh air. And it would mean so much to the men's game if and when they ever get a torch pass situation if a guy like Sitsipas is able to beat, you know, either Nadal or Djokovic in a Grand Slam final to 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 break into that elite club and and have a moment like the women have had, you know, with Naomi Osaka at the US Open, obviously very different kind of final. Uh, but that that means a lot, you know. You, I think you really do want that torch pass thing. I think it's something the men's game has been been craving and, and not getting for for years now. So, how would you like to be in Greece on Monday if it's Sakari and Sitsipas? <laughs> oh, uh, or be, Sunday night. Sunday night would just be that would all be a, night that would long. be a fun time. That would be a fun time. I, yeah, I, I might might be worth getting booking a ticket right now just in case. <laughs> See if it can happen. Pam, thank you very much for uh, for being on here. Any other parting thoughts before we uh, wrap up here on the? No, I appreciate that's been. you having me at the end of the French Open. I think we're all realized it's a compact two weeks before the start of Wimbledon, a surface yeah. where these players haven't played on in two years because of the pandemic. Yeah. So it's going to be a crazy time to wrap up Rolling Garros 2021 that's had more wacky moments than any of us would have imagined. And then flip the switch so quickly to a surface that's so different. And again, a lot of people, young players especially, are uncomfortable, unfamiliar on a grass court. So I'm looking forward to the turnaround. Looking forward to that as well. Thank you very much. And have a uh, enjoy the rest of your, your tournaments. And hopefully, if you know, you can also get a ticket to Athens if and when that the party starts over there. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Pam. Thanks. So thank you very much to Pam Shriver taking the time to come on NCR today on day 11 of the French Open. And thanks to all of you for continuing to listen and support the show, especially those of you who are supporting us on our Patreon as we crank out these daily shows, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We have one new backer to thank since our last episode, Noor, Aisha, and Rashid. And then we have all of our Slam Champ backers we thank every episode. Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kendall, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Audrey Wellens, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel. And our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, thank you again, Pam, and J-O-D. That's it for us. We'll see you again tomorrow after those wide-open women semis. Bye, folks. She'll take